Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Lynn Hilton, last week we were together discussing the best exercises for chest voice and so here we are again following that up with an episode dedicated to head voice. So in your own voice and in your experience, because it it is very individual to how we experience the registers, how would you define head voice? Well, as I was mentioning when we were discussing chest voice, I don't really think about the registers in that term. But I guess if I was going to clarify what I felt I could hear and feel, it would definitely feel like there was a higher resonance, a cleaner sound with less bottom end. And that in my mind, I'm going into a stretchier place with my vocal folds, but it's just, that's how I imagine it. It's obviously, I don't know if that's actually what's going on. Well, I do know that they're stretching and getting longer, but It's just what I imagine as opposed to really knowing or feeling it. And also it it can be quite a loud piercing sound depending on how you're tuning your acoustics Um, or it could be a lighter sort of sound. But for me, head voice is distinct from, say, falsetto. So some people call head voice falsetto very confusingly, mainly in the male tenor voice. But for me, there's a distinct difference because with head voice, especially at the beginning, there is TA engagement. So we're getting a clean, connected sound. It's not a light, um, breathy sound. It could be a light, but connected sound. So there's definitely a decent amount of vocal fold connecting together that gives us a more solid sound. Yeah, I agree. For me, head voice refers to that higher part of the vocal range where the folds are under tension from stretch. And for me, it's that flexibility tool. It feels lighter compared to chest voice, but not without strength. Um, And almost like an adducted version of falsetto, as you were mentioning there. So instead of a, ooh, it's an ooh idea. Mm. And speaking with Chris Johnson, as we did for episode 44 of the podcast on the topic of vocal registers, he talks of falsetto having the ability to be brought really far down in the range to around like a G3. So what vocal range are we actually covering then when we're looking at head voice in cisgendered voices? Yeah, (laughs) that's a can of worms, that one. I feel like anything from D5 up is heading into head voice territory if you are not belting. And that by the time you get to G5, you're definitely in that what I sort of term upper range head voice. Some people call it loft. I quite like that idea of loft. Mm. It does feel lofty. Um, So definitely from from G5 up, but there are probably some people who can engage more or less TA uh, depending on what their physiology is and what their training is. Yeah, so having said that, you can get that headier sound. And I can bring it quite low, but I haven't engaged my TA. So that can be head voice can come down quite low if you choose to Mm. or if you don't have the training to bring in the TA. And certainly when I was training more classically, I was trained to bring it down to about a G3. When I was performing as a soloist on a cruise ship contract, I was 
alto lead. And I don't think the vocal range really went much higher than a C5 a lot of the time. So is it important for us to establish a head voice? And is it for everybody? Hmm. I think in terms of balance and flexibility, colour, variation, yes. I think it's important to have a balance and be able to access all areas of your range. But certain styles and certain individuals may never really work with head voice throughout their career and still maintain a healthy voice and a long, long career. I think it very much depends on genre. Obviously, if you're writing your own music and you choose never to go into head voice, like for instance, Adele doesn't go into head voice in my mind. She goes to sort of the top of her chestier range, but I've never really heard her other than if she flips, you know, go up into the upper part of the range. Whereas somebody like Beyonce does um, very purposefully. So I think it just depends a little bit um, for balance, as I said, and health. I, th I think it's good to be able to access all areas. And also if you know how to access it, and this is one of the reasons that I think that Adele and other singers like her get themselves in trouble is because they're writing in a range that they can be more TA dominant and push that, you know, to its limits. But actually over a period of time that can be wearing and potentially damaging to the vocal folds. Whereas if you know how to let go of that TA and engage more CT and then use more an acoustic shift in order to get that bigger sound, you're less likely to do any damage, especially under the conditions of traveling, lots of gigs, uh, being tired, uh, you know, all the other things that factor into a singer's vocal health. I also think it offers us choice. If we have a choice of where we can go in our range, we've got more to play with. Mm. So for that, I think it's great to also explore up in your head voice. I would say that to songwriters, actually. So right now, you know, you might not be working in that or wanting to sing in that area of your voice. But say you have to write for someone else and if you can't access that area, you're not going to be able to be able to demonstrate it or, you know, go write the song or sing the song in order to figure out if it's going to work. And then later down the track, you know, artists change, things change, you change. Or you might suddenly have a song where actually having a different kind of register or vocal quality is going to be really useful from an emotional point of view. Mm. What's physically happening in head voice compared to that of chest voice then, where we discussed in our previous episode about the TA being engaged, the mass. So what's going on here in head voice? One of the reasons I prefer functional description is because it's less confusing. For instance, I can be in a head voice range with or without TA engagement, but they sound very different. So if I talk to someone about head voice, say, you know, that's a different function um, compared to if I'm in that range but engaging TA. You know, I've actually engaged a little bit more of TA there, so I've got a bigger sound. So I can take that and totally not, I'm, I'm so in the lower end of my range, which some people might call chest voice, but I haven't engaged any TA. Mm. E, E, E has TA in it. So this is why for me, it's much easier to describe different parts of our range in a more functional point of view, from a more functional point of view. 
So in pure head voice, we don't have any TA engagement. The only muscle that's really engaged is the CT, which its role is to bring the cricoid cartilage and thyroid cartilage together, which in turn stretches the vocal ligament. So we get to the higher range and then the vocal folds vibrate according to how much air or the speed of the air that's coming through the vocal folds to give you that pitch. But if there's no TA, then I, I'd just prefer to call it, instead of head voice, I'll just call it CT dominant. And what's happening in the throat? Because some singers can describe it as feeling a bit strangled, like it's getting a little bit too narrow. So is there a narrowing that's happening and, and will we feel the narrowing? Well, I actually, I'm very interested in this because I didn't believe that narrowing was a part of it. Kerry Obert says it is. It seems that there's some association, according to Kerry, between narrowing the pharynx, the throat area, and a higher pitch. So if that's the case, I can only assume that's what's happening when we go into our upper range into head voice, that there is some narrowing going on. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if maybe it is also possible to still attain that pitch without narrowing. I don't know. And I'm not sure if anyone's done any studies on that. I remember being at the Voice Geek conference. I think it must have been before the pandemic. And Dane Chalfin was talking about working with a soprano voice, I believe, and the soprano feeling like everything was expanding in the throat when they scoped, there was a narrowing happening. So I like to encourage a feeling of expansion in a singer if they describe it as feeling a bit tight and squeezy. Um, and in the episode that we spoke with Kerry Obert for, for the podcast, talking about hand fanning, putting the hands at the level of the throat and doing a gesture can really help with that. Larynx position can be a little bit of a, a funny discussion to have, but what do you believe the larynx needs to do when we're entering that upper range? I think it's very important that the larynx isn't rising too high, whatever that means for that individual. Mm -hmm. If the larynx goes too high, the vocal folds can't vibrate at the correct speed that they need to in order to deliver the pitch. And also you might find that if we get much more into that swallowing position, because as the larynx comes up, the epiglottis wants to come down, the vocal folds want to close because the body thinks we're swallowing now. Mm. And so it's going to be a real struggle for the vocal folds to be free to vibrate as they need to in order to create an, a good pitch and a good sound. So whilst I don't believe you need to go into a very low imposed larynx, which often is encouraged in classical, you probably do need to make sure that you're doing exercises to prevent the larynx from rising too much. Mm -hmm. And that will be a little bit of experimentation and trying out different um, strategies to do that. Mm -hmm. And on the bass course and yourself, you like this strategy as well, is talking about larynx position in terms of low, neutral, low, neutral, neutral, high and high. That's right. So where on the scope would head voice be for you? Probably between neutral and neutral high. Mm -hmm. So for... For us on best, high and low are actually too high, too low. Mm -hmm. So if someone's in a high position, it's going to be detrimental to the sound and the pitch. And same with too low. Mm -hmm. Another thing that we might want to look at, and something that I found quite helpful, is 
the tongue position, and again referencing Kerry Obert's work, she talks about how for that larynx to be able to rise to the optimal position, the tongue may need to get out of the way. And on our chest voice episode last week, we spoke about how having a bit of a retracted tongue position can actually help thicken up the folds a little bit and help us establish a chest voice. And similarly, in head voice, if we just allow the tongue to be brought forwards a little bit more in the mouth, it can assist in a thinning of the vocal folds and therefore allow the larynx to be flexible enough to rise as it needs to. Mm. I quite often do an exercise with the tongue right out. Mm. So making sure that um, the tongue is sticking right out, it looks really horrible and it probably feels really horrible because it's rude to stick your tongue out. But actually people are often quite surprised and pleased with the results and then eventually we we bring the tongue back into a more normal position because obviously singing like that's probably not going to win your fans. Mm. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I always practice in the car. If I'm warming up, I just do my warm up in the car just to get things going. And I don't think about the fact that I'm blowing raspberries and that people can see me. They probably think this this girl's really rude. <laughs> but, you know, windscreen wipers on the inside as well. <laughs> exactly. Very sprayy. What's happening in terms of airflow? Do we need more air, less air, more pressure, less pressure? What's going on with that relationship? So it's quite common when singers, either in the beginning or, you know, who haven't really accessed this part of their voice, are singing in this upper range, they instinctively feel as though they need to use more air. So they either fill up their lungs and then try to push it all out, or they press more air out. But of course, we really want our phonation threshold pressure, which is the minimum amount of air required to get the self-oscillation happening, to be optimum. This is why the straw exercises are so good, because that helps to set up that PTP in its optimum um, pressure, so that the vocal folds are just getting enough pressure from the lungs to get that ball rolling, you know, the oscillation. If we have too much air coming through, then either the vocal folds aren't going to vibrate at the correct speed and so we're going to sometimes people sound a little sharp when there's too much air coming through or alternatively it's then going to engage intrinsic muscles or even extrinsic muscles to try and prevent the air that's being pushed through from uh, interfering with the pitch and so we get this really vicious cycle of too much air too much muscle and it all falls apart so quite often I will do exercises where I'll ask the singer to release most of their air before they start the exercise so they realise that actually they don't need anywhere near as much air as they thought they did in order to get to the higher pitches. Who potentially has a harder time accessing this part of their voice? Men. <laughs> They're not used to speaking in that area. I think women are more inclined and of course kids are more inclined to, to whoop up or go up into that headier place. People who are more TA dominant, so they've developed a more TA dominant style of singing or technique, but they're trying to now access a different part. Quite often if they've been singing in this other style for a while or this other technical style for a while, it takes time to undo that habit. When it comes to trans uh, people, so trans men will have obviously had the experience of head voice, but once they get the hormones, now their vocal folds are getting long, uh, thicker, maybe a little bit longer. 
And so it might be difficult then to get back into head voice. I've known, I knew a couple of people who went through the hormonal changes and found their voice was flip-flopping all over the place and it took them a while to control getting in and out of the different areas of their voice. A trans female may actually have, you know, we talked, I think we talked about that in the chest voice um, terms, didn't we, where they may not want to go in. So trans female may already be engaging more CT and finding it easier. Uh, that area it's not my area of expertise but I know there's a lot of negotiating that goes on both physically and mentally and emotionally when you're working with a trans horse mm-hmm. and the pubertal male as well yes, I find it a little bit trickier to access that and we know we don't want to sit there exclusively anyway mm. also when we're sick when we have a cold or some upper respiratory infection it's seemingly much harder to get to the top because of the puffiness of the cause at that time and also pathology of course though sometimes with pathology you end up hitting sort of whistle kind of tones Mm. which is one of the symptoms that might um, indicate that there's some pathology but yes obviously if you've got some sort of pathology negotiating throughout your range is going to potentially be problematic So those who have an easier time then, as you mentioned, children, maybe classical singers as well, because that's where they tend to sit. Who else might be having an easier time? Well, I I notice, for instance, quite often here in the UK, if I'm working with English folk singers, they have access to their head voice quite readily. It's generally quite breathy as well. Um, So, yeah, it depends on the style. You know, if you've come through... Uh, certain styles like R&B, soul, you might be more used to accessing your head voice. Um, gospel tends to be much more of a belted sound and so they may struggle with finding that lighter head voice and it's not necessarily as appealing. Uh, mm. Same with rock. Uh, so, yeah, it just depends a little bit on training. Let's get into some scenarios then and see what exercises we can implement. So imagine a singer has never really explored this area of their voice before what exercises or activities do you like to do to help them become more familiar with it? I think I'd start off with just making sounds that go into that area. So, whee, you know, just scooping up and playing around with that idea uh, so that it becomes a little bit more familiar if they've not had it. I love using the long scale, one and a half octave, extended arpeggio, Rossini scale, whatever you like to call it. So if I'm in C, then I'm and working with a female, I'm working from middle C up to G5. And you can do that on a SOVT, something really easy, might be with a straw, might be a lip trill, uh, might be a sort of sound, anything that will help the person experience that upper end of their range. So for a male, I'd probably work more from C to And then that takes them up into G4. And I'll use headier vowel sounds. So oohs, which tend to be a little easier for males than es. And then es in females uh, might be an M sound, just a a gentle Might do that with the tongue out as well. So the vocal folds just get the experience of that stretch and the body starts to get used to going into 
these upper parts of the uh, of the range without too much weight on it. So we don't want to put lots of weight on in the beginning in terms of the kind of vowels or consonants we use, or even how long we spend there, which is why I like that extended arpeggio because it just helps people kind of visit the area and then come back out. Something which also can be quite helpful is challenging the way the singer thinks of head voice in the first place. So I know one of our bass trainers, lovely Kaya hursted Carney, she talks about moving along the keyboard instead of going higher. And also something which I've come across quite recently is the movement of the, the thumbs at the level of the neck. I think Lisa Popiel has spoken about this. And guiding the thumbs backwards to feel a little bit more of an optimal placement and resonance for that area of the voice. And yeah, when we when it comes to physical things, the other one, of course, is the, the sort of the dip. So at, you have to do the bend at the hips with your back straight and your neck in, li- in alignment with your, uh, with, your, with your spine. And then you just dip down as you're going higher and then back up. And that physically disengages any tension here or contraction of, of muscles in, um, around the throat area. Mm. Uh, sometimes people do bending at the knees. Yeah. Uh, also the TheraBand might help in this instance as well. Or the other one is uh, arms coming down as you go up. It's more, a lot of it's mental. Sometimes it's distraction as well. Bit of trickery. Yeah, bit of trickery. Another one I do is just get the singer to dip their chin down towards their chest. Once again, because you can't contract any extrinsic muscles when you're in that position. But of course, these are just like trainer wheels or tools Mm -hmm. that we use. We want to get rid of them as quickly as possible. So I think about the consonant, like probably a more airflow kind of consonant, like a f sound or a w. Um, sh is another one. Th, anything that gives nice airflow, and then a headier resonance type of vowel, like an u or an e, uh, and then getting the scale to go quite wide, you know, through the range, um, dipping in and out of head voice mm-hmm. that range. What about the singer who is working to access a fuller sounding head voice then, bringing a little bit more body to it? What sort of sounds and exercise scales would you use here? Well, once we've established the ability to go in and out of this area, we just want to stay there for a bit longer. And I think for me, most of the time I'd be just focusing on changing the scale. So if I wanted the person to experience that, um, first of all, I'd just do a repeat once again, on a headier vowel with a fricative or a, a, a sort of quite um, a consonant that has quite a lot of airflow. So that could be a fee. Fee, 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 Because you have to make sure that when they're coming back down, they're getting back into uh, the um, engaging the TA more. So mine didn't quite engage there. So fee might not be the right option for me let's see if we can find a better one so let's do v v so got a little bit more back pressure on a v sound than on a f sound and that actually helped me to re-engage my ta a bit more um, before as i was coming back down so i do 
uh, repeats and then after a while if if that's working well then we can go on to sustain so just gradually build it up and then after that we start to find consonants that have less airflow and vowels that are less heady so we might move more towards a chestier resonance and more towards a vowel sound uh, sorry consonant that uh, doesn't have as much airflow in it like a b or a m or something like that we can also use things like resonant strategies twang meows quacks to help us build that body up as well so for me First of all, I'm helping the student and singer experience what it's like to be in this upper part of their range. And then I'm helping them to engage more TA and CT, mm -hmm. so bringing in the TA, which is what happens when we engage those kind of sounds, like the cry, because now the TA has to be engaged to do that. We could also use things like descending scales if the singer is struggling to ascend into that. If we start already at the top, we've gotten rid of the, the job of having to ascend into it. So that can be quite a good directional scale as well. Yeah, it's quite common for singers who aren't used to play, you know, to engaging TA and CT to just flip up, you know, mm. so they'll be okay in one area um, in the bottom end and they might be quite strong in their chest and as soon as they reach the head voice they flip so they'll do something like and then they'll stay in that place um, which is more CT dominant yeah so we have to it might be that actually if they start at the top uh, that they can find that um, vocal fold closure and TA and CT balance mm. more readily just starting in there. Mm. We talked about the tongue earlier on about how that could be getting in the way of our head voice. What other maladaptations might we want to consider and go exploring as a way of really establishing this functional part of our range? I think it's the same as with chest voice or any other aspect of technique we want to make sure that muscle is engaged but not over contracted or muscle certain muscles you know are out of the way like we talked about the tongue tension in the jaw any tension in the extrinsic muscles around the throat area in fact tension anywhere in the body is going to have some sort of impact on the voice somewhere along the line yeah what repertoire works well for a singer developing their head voice well you could take two ways into this you could either change the key of the song so that it goes much more into that range or you can find repertoire so obviously classical repertoire engages much more ct and head voice having said that uh, if you're working with contemporary voice who wants to be able to get into chest voice as well into the bottom part then maybe classical isn't so um, relevant here um, R&B soul, some pop songs, you know, some of the um, songs from Disney, musical theatre. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's plenty of material out there that you can find. And most of the time it's about finding a song that goes into that range and or taking a song and changing key. And there are, there are plenty of apps out there that can help you transpose. You don't have to necessarily do it yourself on the keyboard if if that's not your skill. 
Mm. And speaking of apps, in a couple of weeks, we have Roland Brachet on the podcast talking about the Warble app, which he's created, which is all about cataloguing repertoire for singers. And it can it's all based on vocal ranges. You can go in and, and type in your vocal range and, and loads of repertoire comes up for you. So tune in for that. I'm sure that'll be very helpful to many. One thing that I quite like to do with repertoire as well, and we spoke to Amelia Carr about this, is starting where the singer is at. So not giving them something that's completely head voice, which doesn't speak to their identity or their sound that they like, but it's picking something that has a section that goes up into head voice, like Regina Spector's Grand Hotel or a bit of Joni Mitchell or a contemporary legit song like from Anastasia, where they still get to do stuff that they're good at, but it does still encourage them to explore this area so they don't just completely avoid it. Great idea. Lynn, thank you so much. We'll be back again next week talking about the transition. If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, and who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a ahem, five star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple Podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click Write a Review.